What a blessing that song is, amen? That just never, never gets old to hear that song. Luke chapter 16, while the young people are being dismissed this morning, uh, going back to their class, I appreciate those who are willing to teach faithfully in, an, uh, in every week uh, and provide us a, an auditorium that's not so distracted. Luke chapter 16. I want to thank you again for being here today. It means a great deal to us here at Bible Baptist. Uh, for those of you who are visiting our, our guests, it's always a blessing to have you. And it, it does mean a lot to me to see uh, you make time in your schedule uh, for the Lord, I believe, that honors him. Just before his death, uh, actor W.C. Fields, who was not a Christian, uh, was, uh, he was short, nigh unto death there, and he, he uh, was sitting in his bed when a friend came in and found him thumbing through a Bible. And so his friend asked, asked W.C. Fields, what are, you, what are you doing looking at a Bible, knowing that he had been a non-believer? And he said, answered with these words, I'm looking for loopholes. In the Bible, there are no loopholes. The Bible is what the Bible is. It is truth, unvarnished, and we are to accept it and to apply it in every way. This morning, I want to preach on the stop sign on the road to hell. It is not a pleasant message to give, nor is it one uh, a pleasant message to receive. But I believe it's a necessary one for us because everyone, everyone in this room, everyone on this earth, will spend somewhere in eternity. Uh, either you have Christ and you will go to heaven, or you do not have Christ and you will spend eternity in hell. That's what the Bible teaches. I want to look at a story today where the curtains are peeled back and we're able to look into a situation of two men where that's exactly what happened to them. We're in Luke chapter 16, verse 19, if you'll read uh, with me, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, uh, which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. I want to uh, have a word of prayer, but before I do, I would ask you today just to give your undivided attention to this message, because there are two instances that I have found in preaching that the devil throws every kind of distraction into the crowd that he can. Number one is when you preach on hell. Number two is when you preach on the devil. When you do that, there just seems to be phones that go off, uh, things that happen, airplanes that fly over. On, you know, All these different things happen to distract us. But I ask you today to tune in to what the Bible has to say to us this morning. I think it's important. And so uh, let's go to Lord and ask Him to bless first of all. Father, I pray that You would help us today 
each and every one listen to this story that's so important that Jesus gave. Help us to find ourselves in this story and deal with it appropriately, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This parable is one that Jesus gives us that is an actual real-life story. Now, many of the parables he gave were kind of a symbolic uh, illustration, but this parable is an actual experience. We see before the people mentioned the word certain. There was a certain rich man. There was a certain beggar. And uh, the prodigal son also had a certain in it. Uh, And uh, it was another real-life story that was used as a parable. And this is the only parable that Jesus ever gave in which there was an actual name. He named the man in the parable Lazarus. This was not a story. This was not a fairy tale. This was an actual happening. The distinction in this parable is that it gives us a glimpse of life after death. God drew aside just for a moment the curtain and the veil to the invisible world that show us where one day all of us will be in one of these different places. And so if anyone should know uh, what eternity will be like, it is the one who is eternal and Jesus tells us about the destination of our souls. All of us will either be celebrating in heaven or agonizing in hell for all eternity and the choice is rest squarely on our shoulders. I want to look first of all on the portraits of these two men as we see them laid out in Scripture. The two men that the Bible shows us here, uh, the circumstances of their life are very different from one another. One is a prosperous man, one is a poor man. Now the prosperous man we find in verse 19, here it says there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. He was a rich man. Now the word for rich, that we, uh, the original word is where we get our word a plutocrat, a very wealthy person here. But his wealth was only found in material wealth. Uh, he was in great poverty spiritually speaking. I'd like to point out today as we go along for you to see the importance of spiritual wealth versus physical or material wealth. Yes, he was materially very wealthy, but he could take no wealth with him when he died. So his wealth was temporary. All of our wealth in our life is temporary. Everything that we gather, all that we amass is only temporary. There are no trailer hitches on hearses. You cannot take it with you. You will leave everything that you amass in the world today. And so, this is the wealth that he had. The rich man, the Bible says, was clothed in purple and fine linen. He wore the raiment of a king. In fact, King Herod uh, Antipas, this is the garment that he wore, the one that they threw over Jesus' shoulders, mocking him as a king in Luke 23, 11. Uh, This rich man, the Bible says, fared sumptuously, Every day, he had the best food. Wine, women, and song was the name of the game in this man's home. And wealth often deteriorates the character. We see this. You don't have to look any further than Hollywood or or many of our sports stars that start out as wholesome young men and, and turn out to be just degenerates. Because often wealth, and not always, but often it deteriorates the character. Every day, the Bible says here, he fared sumptuously. He was obviously extremely rich. And he was also seemingly corrupt. We have other occurrences in Scripture. For example, in in the book of Esther, King Ahasuerus, uh, he had a party that lasted for six months, at least half a year. And it was as lewd as it was long. 
He showed the riches of His glorious kingdom, the Bible says, much as the words here fared sumptuously. There was another man in this story. We see the poor man. The Bible says there was a certain beggar. Uh, This presents the conundrum of life that so often bothers Christians. Why is the righteous man, the good man in this story, laying out in the gate sick and full of sores? And why is the wicked man living in the lap of luxury? It's a problem that has bothered many Christians throughout uh, our lives. In fact, it bothered the psalmist. In Psalm 73.3, he says, I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Have you ever been there? You look around and say, why do Christians have to struggle? And seems the wicked, they just live in the lap of luxury. But the psalmist got the right perspective later on in that same chapter. In Psalm 73.17, he says, Then I went into the sanctuary of God, and I understood their end. Through the Word of God, we learn about the end of the wicked and the end of the righteous. The inequality of life disappears when we see the end of the godly and the ungodly. The ungodly may prosper on earth. The godly may suffer great uh, poverty. But the end for the rich man in our text was hell. The end for the good man in our text was heaven uh, for the godly man. When you consider this and you come to the same conclusion that the psalmist did in that chapter again, Psalm 73, when he said, it is good for me to draw near to God. There's a certain beggar, the Bible says, named Lazarus. The name Lazarus means whom God helps. It indicates that Lazarus had some godly parents that raised him up in a godly way. By the way, uh, godly kids don't happen. Amen? That's something that takes a lot of work. And and you have to raise them and you have to teach them. And so uh, Lazarus probably had godly parents. And interestingly enough, the poor man's name is given, but the rich man's name is not given. Now, in the high society circles of that day, everyone knew the name of that rich man. He would have been known and he would have been sought after and people would have name-dropped him because of his great success. Nobody would have known Lazarus's name, yet here we are thousands of years later and no one knows the name of the rich man. Everyone knows the name of Lazarus because Lazarus is the one that God lifted up in the end. The name Lazarus is mentioned four times in this parable. The rich man's name is never mentioned. Oh, how different is God's news from the world's news report, who he honors. Hey, neighbor, listen to me today. Be much more concerned about the honor of God than you are with the honor of the world. The Bible tells, goes on and tells us here, Lazarus was laid at the rich man's gate. The word translated was laid, it, it implies that there was some rough treatment for Lazarus. Interesting that it literally means to scatter or to throw a thing not caring where it lands. Or where it falls. Lazarus had been flung there like garbage. Uh, This is how he was viewed by the rich man. He was viewed as human garbage. He was at the rich man's gate. There was no excuse for the rich man not to help him. Luke is the only one, by the way, that reports this story that that Jesus gave. And he was a physician. He's the one that uh, wrote this book. And he was a doctor. And he says that this man was full of sores. Uh, He would report the disease with the proper medical terminology. And not only was Lazarus in a terrible, miserable physical state, but he was hard to look at, full of sores. 
Lazarus was the kind of man that if you were walking along and you saw him laying there, he would just make you turn your head because it's a sight you really don't want to see. He was in a pitiful, pitiful condition, laying there at the rich man's gate full of sores. Not only that, but uh, as you read this story, he was the one that in the end of the day, at the end of the day was to be envied. That's something. We would look at those two, and, and, it, and, and nobody, I mean nobody would want to be Lazarus. Everyone would want to be the rich man if they viewed it in that day. But now thousands of years have passed, and I tell you there's every day that goes by that rich man wishes he were Lazarus, that rich man wishes he was where Lazarus was. It's not your physical situation, but your spiritual situation that gauges your condition. Desiring, the Bible goes on, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Every phrase in this description only paints the picture worse. Now, we see him out there. Uh, it started out with the fact that he was poor, and then he was roughly cast here down at the gate of the rich man. Then we read about the ulcerating, festering sores that he had all over his body. Then he's reduced to uh, seeking handouts. Now, we learn that he hardly had anything to eat. Uh, he was just desiring just some crumbs that fall from the table. The word translating, uh, translated desiring here is the same word that we find in the uh, story of the prodigal son when the Bible says he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. He was in a desperate, desperate situation. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores, the Bible said. Uh, the dogs showed more pity on the rich man than, or on that Lazarus than did the rich man. Well, we move on along the story and we see the passing of the men. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The beggar died of hunger and neglect. Uh, apparently, this was probably the rich man's goal. He could throw some scraps Lazarus's way, but that would encourage him. By the way, that's all that Lazarus wanted was just some scraps. But that would encourage him to stay, which is the last thing the rich man wanted. Didn't want him to stay there. Oh, how he must have hated to pass by him every day having to face that sight. And it bothered him and he didn't want to have him there. And uh, he could have had him hauled away and dumped somewhere, but then some other beggar would have come and taken his place. No, the best thing would be let him starve to death and show every other beggar in town that at this gate there are no handouts. Well, that's exactly what happened. Lazarus died. What the rich man didn't know is that Lazarus was well known in heaven. Heaven knew Lazarus' name. Heaven knew Lazarus' address, so to speak, where he was. In spite of his lowly position in society, his soul was given an angelic escort to heaven. Poor Lazarus was poor no more. His death would be a release from all his suffering and all the pain that he was experiencing. Uh, for the righteous, death brings us great relief and brings us into bliss. Can I encourage you today that if you deal with pain and you deal with sorrow in your daily life, that there is coming a day when all that will pass away. That's why the Bible can say, uh, blessed in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. Oh, what a blessing that will be. One day for the saved, we will have a new body. 
No more pain. No more goodbyes. No more sin to stain our everyday life. Philippians 3.21 The Bible says, Our Savior shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body. In this earthly life, no one important paid any attention to Lazarus. Everybody put their focus on the rich man. But when he died, the angels of God were his servants. Ooh, that's good stuff, isn't it, friends? Because right now, there are those, even in this room, that people in life are trying to push you down. They may despise you. They may, you may feel unloved and unwanted. And I can tell you today that you are not forgotten by God. He does know your name. He knows who you are and where you are, and He knows your situation. Then we see the passing of the prosperous man. The Bible says the rich man also died. Death is the great equalizer. Death is the common denominator of all men. doesn't matter how rich you are. doesn't matter how poor you are. doesn't matter how healthy you are. doesn't matter how sick you are. One day, Mr. Death will get you. The rich die as well as the poor. Riches cannot buy you one more day when God punches your ticket. Uh, the, one day, every single one of us will die. Aren't you glad you came this morning to get such encouraging news? Amen? But it's something we all know, isn't it? We all understand that. Uh, one day, if we have enough birthdays, we will pass on. Your body uh, is just the temporary abode for your soul. Now, death puts things in proper perspective. Even like in this story, death shows us that poverty is not the worst thing, nor is prosperity the best thing. At death, what does it matter the size of your bank account as far as your soul goes? doesn't matter for any of us. Look at the places for the men. The rich man's body went to the grave, and Lazarus' body probably went to the trash heap. But both of their souls were separated from their bodies at death. It's like the preacher who was trying to make this point at a funeral. He was preaching this uh, message that, you know, the, the body is here, but the soul is going on to heaven. And so he pointed to the casket and he says, folks, this is just the shell. The nut has already went to heaven. Amen. Uh, trying to make that point. Good, but he's right. Uh, when we die, the, body, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present from, with the Lord. And so the Bible says, in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, Lazarus in his bosom. In our text, the rich man went to a place called hell when he died. Lazarus went to a place called Abraham's bosom when he died. Now, what determined these places is not one was rich and one was poor. Was it wealth that sent the rich man to hell? Was it poverty that sent the poor man to Abraham's bosom? A thousand times, no. There is absolutely nothing wrong with wealth. Amen? There's nothing wrong with money. Money is amoral. It's not evil and wicked in and of itself. The Bible does not tell us that money is the root of all evil. It tells us the love of money is the root of all evil. So wealth is not a bad thing. There have been many, many people, uh, both in the Bible and people we know that are, that love the Lord and put Him first, and they may have great wealth, and that's a good thing. That's just fine. It is not wealth or poverty that determines a person's destination. It is always this, unbelief sends to hell, belief in Christ sends a person to heaven. Faith sends to heaven. 
uh, Lazarus believed God, but the rich man did not. Look at that's the determining of these places. Look at the description of the places. They were described as a place of torment and a place of tranquility. In our text, the word torment in some form appears four different times. The word tormented means to suffer pain, to be in anguish, to be greatly distressed. We're talking here about terrible, terrible suffering. The horrors of hell, my friend, are incomprehensible to the human mind. That's why many preachers never talk about it. That's why many churches never mention it. Uh, Hell has been called the forgotten doctrine of the church. It's even been said that uh, the doctrine of hell is a stumbling block to the work of evangelism. I strongly disagree. Now now we see in research uh, polls in America today that 72% of Americans believe in heaven, 58% believe in hell. 64% of people believe they will go to heaven. Less than 1% of people believe they'll go to hell. But Jesus, Jesus felt it necessary to raise this topic often. And I believe we ought to raise it as well. doesn't matter what people believe in sincerely or do not believe in sincerely. It does not affect the truth of the Word of God. And if there is a hell, it does not matter how many believe or don't believe. If it's there, it's there. Amen? And so we need to take what the Bible says to be truth. Is hell real? Jesus certainly believed in hell. He said in Matthew 13, 50, And shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. He said in Matthew 25, 46, And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous to life eternal. To do away with the doctrine and belief of hell is to repudiate Christ and His teachings. Jesus certainly believed in it. Nobody spoke about the terrible, fiery suffering of the damned more than our loving and merciful Savior, Jesus Christ. He talked more about hell than He did about heaven because He wanted to warn people of that terrible place. So there was a place of torment. There's also a place of tranquility we see here. The term Abraham's bosom is it's taken from the practice of in that day of reclining at meals. They didn't sit in chairs like we did. They lay kind of by the table. And the head of one would sometimes lay in the bosom of the other. We see this picture in John 13 when John, uh, the Apostle John was laid in the bosom of Jesus Christ in the Last Supper. It signifies intimacy and friendship, delight and joy. Lazarus here is said to be comforted. But I want you to notice a couple of things about these places here. Because when these men arrived here, they were conscious. Uh, They were very conscious. When the rich man died, he was in torments. Now, there are some cults that teach soul sleep. And that is not taught in the Bible. That is heresy. The Bible is very clear that he continued to be in torments. When a person dies, uh, they will be very conscious. Not only was he conscious, he was cognizant. He lift up his eyes, he said, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. The rich man in death recognized Abraham and Lazarus. Abraham recognized the rich man. Not only recognized who he was, but what he was in life. I believe that in heaven, uh, in eternity, we will be able to recognize and be recognized even better than we are in this life. They were capable. The rich man and also Abraham were capable of hearing and seeing and speaking The rich man pleaded with Abraham to soothe his suffering. And so they were also capable of feeling. Abraham heard and and replied to him. They were able to communicate. 
They were conscious. They were cognizant. They were capable. They were also confined. He said, Abraham said, between you and me, there is a great gulf fixed. When a soul goes to hell, his eternal destiny is sealed. There is nothing he can do to get out at that point. Uh, the, he, people that are in hell have no hope of moving uh, to where the saved are. The saved have never to be worried to be about being cast into the place of the damned. They were confined. This leads us here to the pleas of the rich man. The parable closes with some of his requests. He asks, first of all, to soothe his suffering in verse number 24. He directed his plea, interestingly enough, to Father Abraham. Uh, it's interesting, we can assume this was a Jewish man because that's how he uh, was eager to identify with Abraham. The Jews felt that their relationship with Abraham was their ticket to heaven. Don't miss that. They thought because of who they were and their bloodline, they would automatically go to heaven. But it is not, was not so for them. It is not so for us. Who we are, what we have done, means nothing when it comes to eternity as far as heaven is concerned. Have mercy on me, he said. Oh, he indeed needed mercy. But the day of mercy had passed. Had he called on God while he was on earth, he would have obtained all the glory of heaven. But now it is too late. Once death comes, there are no more opportunities for salvation. Uh, why, that's why it tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, hey, today, today is the day of salvation. And this makes sense. Uh, it can't be yesterday. You cannot go back. You cannot change anything yesterday. You cannot change a decision you made. And so it cannot be yesterday. And it cannot be tomorrow. The Bible tells us in James chapter 4, verse 14, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, uh, for what is your life? It is even as a vapor that appeareth for a little while and then poof, it vanisheth away. The Bible doesn't say poof. I added that. But it vanisheth away. We have no promise of tomorrow. We can't change yesterday. That's why the Bible says today, today is the day of salvation. If you're in here today, friend, and you don't know, you don't know where you would go. If, if I was the rich man or the poor man I, and I died, I don't know where I would end up. There's a wonderful verse found in 1 John 5, 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You can know more on that in just a moment. But here we find that today is the day of salvation. God's mercy and His grace are great, but the door of His mercy and His grace are not always open. Yesterday is a canceled check. Tomorrow is a promissory note. Today is the only cash you can spend, and I encourage you today, friend, to spend it wisely. He goes on, send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. Now, as this is interesting here, the rich man wants relief from his suffering, and he gives direction to how he'll get that relief. The, he, he wants Lazarus to bring him some relief. Now, that's a hypocritical thing for him to say and do. Uh, he, there was no apology to Lazarus, but he begs for kindness from someone he showed no kindness to on earth. The rich man still reflects the attitude that he had while he was on earth. When a lost soul goes to hell, he's not converted. He doesn't get a new nature. He still demanded that others serve him. But look at the, the smallness of the favor shows the magnitude of his suffering. 
tip, dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. Imagine the situation that you'd have to be, my friend, for somebody to dip their finger, the tip of their finger in water and put one drop of water on your tongue and that's all the relief that you desire at that time. He had long since passed the point of wanting to dip into a swimming pool. Then he had long since passed to pour water over his head and then to have a glass of water and then to have a splash of water. He was now to the point, if I could just have one little drop of water on my tongue, it would bring me relief. Oh, imagine the suffering. Notice why he said, I am tormented in this flame. Hades is temporary, the place he was at, but the lake of fire we find in Revelation is permanent. Yet fire exists in both places. How horrible, what torment. Remember that Jesus Christ is God. He is eternal. He knows better than anyone what we are facing, and so He often brings it up, warning us about this terrible place and how to avoid it. This is why He opens up this brief window and the suffering that is experienced uh, by the unrighteous and people that reject Christ for all of eternity. Look at the denial here of the plea. It was denied. All the prayers that are prayed in hell are denied because it is too late. It was denial. Denial came in three parts. First, remembrance. He says, son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. Memory will be the source of great suffering in hell. Remembering what we might have done differently. I don't mean to be dramatic, dear friend. I'm not trying to... Uh, trying to score points or make a dramatic type of speech or anything, but there will come a day if you're sitting in here today and you reject the message of Jesus Christ's salvation for your life, there will be a day that you remember this moment right here and it will replay in your mind in the opportunity that you had to accept the gift of salvation, to, to have somebody open a Bible and show you how to accept that and it just plays and it plays and it plays. Even in this life, our memories can be torturous. I can't imagine how terrible it would be in a place called hell. Friend, if you're here today and you're not saved, do something about it. Amen? Accept Him today. Second, it was reciprocation. Now He is comforted and thou art tormented. The rich man and Lazarus are getting paid back for how they lived in their life. This is not to say that salvation is by works at all. Uh, I'm simply saying the eternal circumstances of these men are opposite of their earthly circumstances. Not because of those circumstances, but because of the relationship that each one of them had with God. Oh, then we see the restriction between us and you. There is a great gulf fixed. Uh, this chasm would be even more suffering for the rich man as he saw a place he could not be. Once you go there, you can never leave this place of suffering. By the way, purgatory is a man-made false doctrine that is created by man, not by the Bible. Purgatory is not found in your Bible. And so, consequently, we don't hold to what the Bible doesn't say. The second, so he has to soothe his sufferings. And then he makes a really, in my opinion, interesting request to save his siblings. The rich man pleaded... First for himself, it shows the selfishness that he had. And then when he was denied that, he proceeded to plead for others. I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. He wants to make Lazarus, whom he would not help, an errand boy whom he could not now pay. 
still wanting Lazarus to serve him. But he said, I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they come to this place of torment. Oh, listen to me, friend. I have had people tell me to my face that they want to go to hell because that's where all their friends will be. Well, you, uh, anybody that's there, they don't want you there. They don't want to be there and they don't want their friends there. It's a terrible, horrible place of suffering and what a blasphemous thing to say. That is mockery in its worst form. The Bible tells us that those in hell do not want their friends there. But the plea, this plea like the first was rejected as well. The rich man became burdened too late. He asked for mercy too late. If you affect anyone's life in this, in this life, if you affect anybody for eternity, do it in this life. Abraham denied in two different ways. He said, uh, they, have, uh, they have, in fact, exactly Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. That's what he said. So Abraham basically said, there's ample truth for them to be converted, your five brothers. They have Moses, the Pentateuch. They have the prophets. That's the rest of the Old Testament. Basically what he's saying is they have the Bible. They have the Word of God. That can lead them to Christ. Uh, That response, by the way, gives proper honor to this book. This Bible has more than enough for you to go to heaven right here between its pages. Amen? And it tells us how to do that. And then he says, no, 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 Father Abraham. But if one went to them from the dead, they will repent. Now, this is interesting to me. If one went from the dead, they would repent. First of all, there's a, there's a, there's a subtle form of defense here. In other words, the Bible's not enough for me. If somebody would go to them from the dead, in other words, saying to Abraham, if somebody would have come to me from the dead, I would have believed. If somebody would go to them, uh, they will believe if they come, uh, someone comes from the dead. This attitude blames God for one's failure to repent and believe. God did not sufficiently warn me. He didn't send somebody that was raised from the dead. But he also exposes a disbelief in the Scriptures. The contempt that he felt for the Word of God while he was on earth, he still feels a contempt for the Word of God. It's not enough to win my brothers, he says. And so, the Word is not enough to, uh, sufficient to save men. There must be more. By the way, the Pharisees felt the same way, asking Jesus for a sign. You know what Jesus said? I'll give you a sign, my resurrection. That's a sign right there. And and so he says, if one would just raise from the dead, they would repent. Many people in our churches today still feel the word of God is not enough. We need programs. We need marketing. We need slick uh new things. Whatever you do, do not, do not preach on a subject like hell from your pulpit on a Sunday morning. This type of thing drives people off. And you tell them that preaching is the program, they'll scoff at you. It's a subtle form of disbelief. I want to tell you today, I'm glad that it's in our, I didn't name our church, but I'm glad it's in our name, Bible Baptist Church. We're led by this book. We preach what's in this book. And I tell you today, friend, that it's with a heavy heart that I would come to this pulpit with this type of message today. It's not that I want uh, to, to, to hurt anybody or hurt anybody's feelings. God, deeply care for your soul today. The reason that Jesus Christ preached on hell far more than he did on heaven is because he cared about the people he was speaking to. Or there'd be no greater thing than today for somebody to make a decision to accept Christ into their life. But he says... It's not enough. 
someone raises from the dead. By the way, interestingly enough, just a short time after this, another Lazarus did raise from the dead. Did you know that? He did raise from the dead. Jesus raised him uh, from the dead. And uh, when he was raised from the dead, uh, do you think that they accepted him and heard him? Not on your life. In fact, John chapter 12, verse 10, they wanted to kill him <laughs> again. He'd already died. Jesus raised him from the dead. They wanted to kill him again. They didn't listen to him. Unbelief is not connected to proof. It's not. Unbelief is a problem of the heart. Somebody look around today in the world that we live in and not believe in God. What more proof do we have than nature itself? Look around to the beauty of our universe. Uh, this is the only thing, the only thing in all of human history that they want to try to tell us that an explosion brought forth order. <laughs> in, every other ma in every other way, explosions bring out chaos. But in this one, it brought forth order. That's nonsense. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When a person refuses to believe the word, they will not believe someone even though they rose from the dead. Skeptics of the word of God will be skeptics of any demonstration of truth. We see that when Jesus came. Unbelief is not a problem of the head. It is a problem of the heart. The rich man said his brothers would repent if someone from the dead spoke to them. They wouldn't have. And that's the point Abraham's making. Jesus did rise from the dead. They didn't listen to Him. Lazarus was raised from the dead. They didn't listen to Him. Uh, unbelief is a decision that we have to make uh, in our heart. Each person under the sound of my voice today must make a decision about this place called heaven and this place called hell. If the Bible is true, then you have to do all that it takes uh, to make sure that you go to heaven. You must make sure uh, at all costs that uh, you are not on your way to hell. The Bible is clear on how to do that. He says, Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but through me. Uh, we know the way to heaven is through our Savior, Jesus Christ. There are not many roads that lead to heaven. There is one road that leads to heaven, and it goes right through the door of the cross through Jesus Christ. Only those who trust Christ as Savior and Lord will enter into the gates of heaven. There's two things, friends that I know about myself today with complete certainty. First, I ought to go to hell because that's where I belong, because of my sin. In a thousand ways, I've sinned against God. I deserve His punishment because of my sins, and my sins are great. But the second truth is greater than the first. I'm going to heaven because Jesus took my punishment for my sins. Amen, hallelujah. God has done everything necessary for you to go to heaven. He has posted an enormous stop sign on the road to hell. And it is that cross that we heard sung about just before I got up. The application of this sermon that I'm preaching to you today is very clear. We should be quick to believe all that the Bible tells us and not make the mistakes that the rich man made when he ignored the message you heard in life. We're to believe what the Bible says concerning our soul. Let me just run down the points really quickly. Number one, we are all sinners. The Bible tells us, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Can I tell you something, friend? All includes me and all includes you. All means all and that is all that all means. It means everyone. We're all sinners. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Number two, because of that sin, we're doomed. 
The Bible says in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. Uh, we, because of our sin, again, sin is not a behavioral problem. Sin is a condition. And if it were a behavioral problem, it could be solved by changing your behavior. But it can't be because it's a condition. You are not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. It's a condition. And so we are doomed because of our sin. Uh, number three, we cannot do enough good works to make ourselves righteous enough for heaven. The Bible says in Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Oh, but preacher, I'm righteous. No, no, you're not. None of us are righteous. We might try. You might be better than me, but you're not righteous in the eyes of God. In fact, the Bible says uh, in Isaiah that even our righteousness are as filthy rags when compared to God's holiness. So our works, we can't do anything about that. We can't do enough good works to take us to heaven. But oh, praise God, number four, God made a way. But God commendeth his love toward us, Romans 5, 8. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, he paid for that price that we could not pay. I cannot do enough good works to take myself to, he myself to heaven. The Bible says not works of righteousness which we have done. I can't be good enough to outdo my bad. And so Jesus Christ loved us enough to be, uh, John 3.16 tells us, God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Listen, friend, if you, could make it your own, if you could make it to heaven yourself, Jesus would not have to die, but He did. And now He makes it a gift. A few minutes ago, I read you a verse, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Now let me read you the rest of it. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now he makes it a gift. You know, I, I was talking to a young lady this week uh, about, about this subject of salvation. And I made this statement, and just think about this. If it costs $5 to go to heaven, there's some people couldn't do it. Couldn't make it. Some people in the world. But he, he didn't say it's $5. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What do you have to do to make a gift yours? Well, you simply have to receive it. You just simply have to receive it. That's why the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Oh, listen, friend, this is a terrible place we've talked about today. I don't want anybody to go there. That's why we give money in the offering. That's why we send missionaries all over the world. That's why we print gospel tracts. That's why we put uh, these messages out online. That's why we do all that we can. That's why I always uh, carry a gospel tract with me and try to give them out as much as I can because I want to tell people the good news that they don't have to go to a place called hell. They can go to a place called heaven through Jesus Christ. Where's your destination? Let me ask you today, friend, do you know that you know that you know that you know if something happened to you right now, you'd be in heaven? Or like the rich man, closed his eyes in death, and the Bible says, in hell, lift up his eyes. It was like he bowed his eyes in death in his bed, and he opened them up in this terrible place called hell. What about you, friend? I believe heaven is real, 100%. I wouldn't be talking like this if I didn't. And so... I don't want anybody to go there. You can change that today. If you're, if you're not sure of your salvation today, you can change it even this morning. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. Nobody's looking around. I don't want to embarrass you. I'm not going to point you out or, or uh, come, come get you or anything like that. I just want to pray for you. If you're here this morning, you say, Preacher, you know, nobody likes to hear a message like that, but uh, I'm not sure. 
I don't know. I hope, I hope I'd go to heaven, but I'm just not sure. Uh, if, if, if I died right now, I don't know, would you pray for me? Let me pray for you. Slip up your hand. I see that hand. Anybody else this morning? I don't know. I see that hand as well. I see another hand. I see your hand. Oh, dear friend, listen, you can be sure the Bible's very clear today. You can know that you're going to heaven. Don't leave today without being sure. Would you stand along with me? What about you, dear Christian? Uh, you might have heard this message, and, and it's just a reminder of how we need to be about the business of winning people to the Lord Jesus Christ. As she begins to play, the altar is open this morning.